Thank you, Don. Good morning. Good morning. Let me be the first to say Merry Christmas. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our passage today is a very clear demonstration of this declaration in Isaiah. And really, as is this entire book, we should begin, I think, today by generally understanding the events preceding our passage, specifically the verses of Luke chapter 1, 5 through 25. So just allow me to give you a generally brief summary of that because it is important for the context of our passage. This is a familiar story, uh, but nevertheless, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were an older Jewish couple whom Scripture describes as righteous before God, but they had no children. And while Zechariah was serving as a priest in the temple, an angel came to him with good news, telling Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son. The angel said that this son would be great before the Lord and would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This son would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, And in doing so, he was to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This was exciting and incredibly good news for this couple. So good, in fact, that Zechariah's response to the angel was, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The paraphrase of that is, Prove it. That's what that means. And the angel gives this fascinating answer. The answer is, I am Gabriel. That's who. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. I will not go into the consequences of Zechariah's lack of faith. You can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 1. But Scripture goes on to tell us that Elizabeth did conceive. And her son was one of the great prophets in Scripture. His name, as you likely know, was John the Baptist. Why is this background important? Well, one reason is that this event gives us a perspective of God's timing. Luke 1.17 says that John was to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. If John was about to be born, we could expect that the Messiah would soon arrive on the scene. This is alluded to in Luke 1, but also supported in many places in prophecy. For example, Malachi 3.1, which says, Behold, I send my messenger 
and He will prepare the way before Me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 26 of our passage today, the first verse, begins with the words, in the sixth month. Luke is not talking about the month of June. Luke is talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. John the Baptist was literally on the way. And in this sixth month, God sends his messenger, the angel Gabriel, to a small town named Nazareth, located in a rural province called Galilee. Gabriel was to go and speak to a specific virgin who had committed to marry a man named Joseph, and Joseph was a direct descendant of King David, and this virgin's name was Mary. You cannot read these two verses without understanding that there is not one vague word here. There can be no mistake about where Gabriel was to go and whom he was to see. God had a special message for a person, a specific person, named Mary. And today, what I would like to do is consider four aspects of this passage. And they are God's favor, God's Son, God's power, and God's provision. And let's begin with God's favor Verse 28 says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. That is the ESV version. Gabriel came to Mary with incredibly good news. This good news is delivered with great joy. And I must admit that I prefer <coughs> the, the, the version uh, that was read this morning I think that was the New King James, I'm not certain, but the New King James says, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. It just seems to to me to be just a little bit more enthusiastic. We need to read it enthusiastically. Gabriel was so enthusiastic because Mary was already experiencing the favor and the presence of God. Favor is most associated in Scripture with people that are righteous before God. Being favored or highly favored can also be translated full of grace. Conversely, we often call God's grace God's unmerited favor. God's grace was upon Mary in that she was righteous before God. Simply put, Mary was saved. Mary was a child of God. God's favor rests upon people throughout Scripture. There are many, many examples, but let me get such as Moses, Daniel, Esther, and Elizabeth. And Psalm 5:12 tells us that this favor is a great blessing. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Mary was favored by God. Not because of what she had done, but because of what he had done. 
You see, the Lord's favor rested on Mary because she was full of His grace and she was sealed with His presence. When Gabriel said, the Lord is with you, he meant it literally, not figuratively. In addition, John Gill wrote that Mary was given a special and particular favor in being chosen and singled out from all other women to be the mother of the Messiah. This was an honor that Jewish mothers had so long desired. But here's the thing. Mary was going to need help in the days, months, and years to come. She was going to need God's strength, God's shield, in a way that she never imagined. The Lord is with you was a promise directly from the throne of God to a young virgin named Mary. This promise, the Lord is with you, is a promise that we often think of in terms of health, peace, and plenty. But this is incorrect. God's promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is found in multiple books of the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New. He does not promise the lack of trials or hardship. He promises to be with us through the trials and through the hardships. Isaiah 41.10 states this clearly, Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Gabriel was enthusiastic, but Mary was troubled. She didn't understand what type of greeting. And no, uh, she was hearing, and no doubt her mind was racing. One, one reason for her apprehension was that in the culture of the day, especially Jewish culture, it was not normal for a man to greet a woman, not even her husband. Perhaps Mary was troubled by the greeting of an angel appearing as a man, or perhaps Mary was troubled by the greeting of an angel appearing as an angel. I I don't really know why, but she was troubled, and, and for good reason. And Gabriel sees that Mary is troubled and fearful and reassures her her by saying, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Please notice here that Gabriel called Mary by her name. In Scripture, when God calls us by name, He knows us, signifying that we are His. He has redeemed us. A good example of this is found in Exodus 33, verse uh, verse 17, where it says, And the Lord said to Moses, because Moses had made a request to God, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. And Jesus in John chapter 10 is speaking of the shepherd of the sheep and says, The sheep 
hear His voice. And He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. God's favor and God's presence rested upon Mary and God knew her by name. Here's the question. Has God's favor and presence fallen upon you? And does God know you by name? Now let's consider God's Son. Gabriel reveals God's plan to Mary in a startling way. Note the very concise statements. And I'm going to reread these verses. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and call the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice here that Gabriel focuses totally on the, on the Son to be born. The message to, get to Mary and the message to the world is all about the Son of the Most High, whose name is Jesus. Gabriel immediately provides Mary with some very important information about her son. First of all, it's God's son and Mary's son. Notice the wording, behold, meaning pay careful attention, Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Because of the sovereignty and the will of God, the conception will be certain and the birth will surely take place. This is entirely the work of God. Joseph plays no role, man plays no role, and Mary is a vessel used by God. Christ, born of a woman, is Jesus, the Son of Man. And the name Jesus was a common name in Judea. Jesus means God is salvation. And it seems the popularity of the name reveals the desire of a people who were oppressed and downtrodden. The people of Israel longed for a righteous military leader like Joshua or David who, were, who would restore the nation's sovereignty. Acts 1.6 tells us that even the apostles after the resurrection were seeking the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus, the Son of God, came for a specific purpose and it was not to rebel against Rome. Mark 10.45 tells us that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to save souls. Jesus came to save people eternally. And in doing so, Jesus would be great. Is this not the hope for all of our children and our grandchildren? We want them to be people of great character and most of all, great people of God. Gabriel was not speaking in terms of an optimist that Jesus would be great. Gabriel said this, I believe, first of all, because God told him to say it. Secondly, is he, Gabriel knew Jesus would be great for at least two reasons. The first is that Gabriel stands in the presence of God. That included Jesus then and it includes Jesus today. The second reason is that angels are created beings. 
Therefore, Gabriel was created by Jesus according to Colossians 1.16. Gabriel knew Jesus and Gabriel knew the greatness of Jesus. And Gabriel was excited because Mary was going to be the mother of Jesus. God's ways are not our ways. Jesus would be the Son of the Most High. As a divine name, Most High or Most High God appears first in Genesis 14. Melchizedek was king of Salem and was also the priest of the Most High God. In Genesis 14:18, Melchizedek blessed Abram saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Most High defines God as supreme over all. That means over all gods, all idols, all nations, all men, all created beings, all things created. Luke was writing this gospel to Gentiles. In that day and today, Gentiles believed in many gods. Another god might be of interest to them, but the knowledge of the Most High would certainly get their attention, at least for a while. A god that ruled over all. Throughout Scripture, we see the term of Most High or Most High God primarily used in the context of all peoples or nations, Gentiles and Jews. Moses in Deuteronomy 32.8 says that the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind. Daniel chapter 4 provides clarity that Most High applies to all kingdoms. The Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, Daniel 4.17. Being called the Son of the Most High means that Jesus would have and has the same glory, power, authority, and attributes as his Father. The Most High, this Son will be equal to his Father in every way. Therefore, Jesus is God, the Son of God. And I want to just quickly mention three key attributes of the Son of the Most High. Just three, real quick. First, just as God is eternal, Jesus is eternal. John 8:58. In John 8:58, Jesus says to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am." Jesus has always existed and will always exist. He is eternal. Three times in Revelation, we see Jesus declared as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So Jesus is eternal. Secondly, Jesus reveals God the Father in every way to mankind. Hebrews 1.3 says it best. He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thirdly, Jesus is the only source of salvation for man. 
Acts 4.12 says, And there is no salvation, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the question is, have we called upon the name of Jesus to be saved from the penalty of our sins? Jesus was the Son of the Most High, but Jesus was also the Son of David and would be a king and is a king. The Lord God will give to Jesus the throne of his father David. The lineage of Jesus is important. Jesus had to be born in the line of David according to 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. Referring to David, these verses say, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Davidic line reaches through the line of Seth to Noah, through the line of Shem to Abraham, then through the lines of Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, and to Jesus. Luke and Matthew go to great lengths to show us the lineage of David. And it appears that both Joseph and Mary were perhaps both descendants of David the king. Jesus had been given the throne of David and his kingdom is like is unlike all others. Psalm 89:14 tells us this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. As we mentioned, his close followers were concerned about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And today we talk about Jesus ruling righteously and for good reason. But more importantly, Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom. And if you are a born-again believer in Jesus, you are part of his spiritual kingdom. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If we are believers in Christ, we are being built up into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. We are built up into a spiritual house to praise God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, are you a living stone? Jesus, Son of the Most High and Son of David, will reign over the house of Jacob eternally. And so what is the house of Jacob? Well, the house of Jacob is all of God's people. All of those who are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. 
The house of Jacob is a spiritual kingdom being built out of living stones. John Gill wrote, The Messiah's throne and kingdom is not of this world, but is in his church and is set up in the hearts of his people, where he reigns by his spirit and grace. And this is a throne and kingdom given by the Lord God. His is a heavenly kingdom prophesied in Daniel 7.14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus will not only be a king, Jesus is the king of kings, and Jesus is the Lord of lords eternally. And so the question is, Are you in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? We've considered God's favor and his son, Jesus. Now let's consider God's power. Having heard this pointed message, Mary asked a pointed question, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary never challenges the validity of the message or the messenger as did Zechariah. Mary simply asks, How can this be? And I believe that Mary asked out of faith. She believed that this would happen, but she did not understand how. And Gabriel provides a simple but mysterious answer. This conception was to be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. This was a miraculous work of God. And Gabriel once again focuses on the Son to be born. Jesus will be called Holy the Son of God. The meaning of holiness is to be set apart. We see His holiness in His conception. We see His holiness in His ministry when He calms the storm, heals the sick, casts out demons. We see His holiness in His sinlessness. And we see His holiness as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Holy Son of God, was like no other man. Hebrews 7.26 describes our Lord in the following way. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus is the Holy Son of God. He has this miraculous power by His death on the cross to save us from our sin. And finally, we have God's provision. Verses 36 
through 38 say, uh, right, uh, is written, and behold, your rel- relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Gabriel describes Jesus as the Holy Son of God and then seems to abruptly transition to Elizabeth. He announces, Look, or behold, Your relative Elizabeth has also conceived and is in her six months. We have already seen God's provision in that Mary had the favor of God upon her and the presence of God. And in addition, Gabriel has told Mary how great Jesus is going to be. And I think Mary, by faith, believed Jesus. It also appears to me that God is providing additional support to Mary by directing her to Elizabeth, who was also her relative. Despite their age difference, both women had much in common. Both would benefit from God's miraculous work and bear children. Both would be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this later in chapter 1. Both were righteous before God and had found favor with him. And just as John the Baptist would go before Jesus to make ready a people for the Lord, it seems to me that Elizabeth was to be a source of encouragement and counsel for Mary in order to make Mary ready for the Lord. God was with Mary, and God was with Elizabeth, and he wanted them to support each other. Do you see God's grace and loving kindness in this? Mary understood God's grace in pointing her to Elizabeth. And I believe she understood it because immediately she makes this great statement of faith to Gabriel after hearing all that he had to say. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And as believers in Christ, I think we have to ask this question. Have we matured to the level of this young virgin? Let it be to me according to your word. I don't know about you, but, but I think I've got some growing to do. The point of this passage today is this. That Jesus is the Holy Son of God, born of a virgin, and he is going to rule and reign for eternity. That's the point. Woven into this passage is also the plan of salvation. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And in this season of Advent, we can look at this passage and we can see that God gave His only Son to pay for our sins if you believe upon His name. God gave His only Son. 
And if you receive him, God gives you a spiritual rebirth by his Holy Spirit. And then God grants his provision to you in that he will never leave you or forsake you. His favor will rest upon us. And then God pours out his grace, his favor upon us now and for all of eternity. I mean, God is just giving and giving and giving and giving throughout this passage. That's what this passage is about. And the question is, will you accept it? Will you accept Jesus? Let's pray.